you know, the, uh, I, I say this to a lot of people, but the reality is uh, we can know a lot in our heads, but it means absolutely nothing in our lives because it doesn't bear witness with us. And my prayer is that as we walk through this study together, there's a bearing witness in your own spirit as to the truth of what God's trying to say to us because sometimes what he's showing us and what he's telling us isn't what we've isn't what we've gotten indoctrinated with. It's not what we've been taught or influenced with. And and when that truth comes, it bears a witness inside us says, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. And our eyes are opened in that sense. So we're going to start in, and we're going to start with Colossians, and we've got a, a little few verses there to read to get us going into it. So let's take a look at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14 there. And we'll be referring back to it as we go through this study tonight. But Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faith and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. So he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, that's a mouthful. What's he saying? Where is he going? What's happening here? Well, first of all, understand that Epaphras has come to him from the church in Colossae, and in coming to him, there has been an infiltration of what I would call Colossae heresy. Colossae heresy brings in a lot of your, your, your religious kind of rules and, and your keepings. And what they are, Judaizers, is what I call them as well. Judaizers are those who come in and, and basically say, yes, 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 Paul, Paul's right. He shared with you concerning who Christ was, the Messiah. But you've got to understand, in order to come to him, you must, first of all, become a Jew. You just can't come to him as a Gentile. So you need to be what they call proselyte or apostolate. 
in that sense, you, you, you take to yourself the, the mark of circumcision. You've got to keep the days. You've you got to learn of this and do that and all the festivals and everything. And once you've achieved that, then you can come to the Messiah because he is the Jewish Messiah after all. Well, uh, again, there's that twisting and that turning and that perverting that's going on. So I want to take us through the book of Colossians over the next several weeks and, and to give a brief history of what's going on here as far as the city. And again, Epaphras has come to him, and so he begins to write this. But it's not just in Colossae. It'll happen in Ephesians, in, in, in Ephesus as well. So uh, again, when you're dealing with Colossians here, you're dealing also with Epaphras. You're dealing with Philemon. You're dealing with the church. Philemon's a, another story. Uh, that, that's By the way, that's out there on the table if you'd like to take a look at the story of Philemon and the slave Onesimus. It really brings an understanding of what's going on here. But Paul is going to state in this letter, probably better than any letter we have in the New Testament, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now understand, Ephesians is the letter that explains to us the Father. We go back to before creation and we examine what we would call the eternal purposes of the Father and how it all unfolds. And that's what we find in Ephesians. Colossians is the letter of the Son. So exalting the all-sufficiency of the Son. And then you have Galatians. That is the letter of the Spirit. In Galatians, the key word is the Spirit of God. So it's showing us how the Spirit is at work. So within those, those, those uh, three epistles. So in this one, Paul is going to exalt Jesus Christ, and he's going to do so as all-sufficient. And you'll see that by the time we end this letter, but you'll begin to see it here tonight, because he's everything you need, is what he's saying. But before he does that, before he gets into the meat of that, he holds up a mirror to them, and he says, hey, look at this. Take a look at yourself. This is who I see you to be. And, and this is who you are in Jesus Christ. And having done that, then he says, and this then is what I am praying for you in the light of that, because you are all of that in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am going to pray for you in this way. So what's going on here is he's, he's views them as they really are. And in this sense, he is saying to them, and this really in the text, but remember, what we're doing here is getting into the head of Paul. And, and, and I, mean, I mean, why does he do this? That's, that's the question. Why did he write these first verses in Colossians? He's saying to them, in effect, do you remember? Do you remember how it all began? Do you really remember the day that you really came to know Jesus Christ? Do, do, you, do you see where you have come from? Do you see who you are in Christ? Now, those are really some really great questions to ask each other. There are times that we get in what I call sidetracks, in, in, in the Christian walk, it, it's, it's where you kind of get off track on things and you get swirled over there. So it's a good thing to do what Paul does here. 
And I, I say that to you because do you remember where you came from? He said, do you remember the first day that you accepted Jesus Christ? That's a good day to remember. And, and do you remember the first day that you saw the grace of God? Do, do, do you realize what that is within you now? The implication of that is, according to what he wrote, in the light of that. In the light of that. How, how could you, in the light of that, fall for a heresy like this. When, when you realize how you came to Christ, how in the world did you end up walking in him like this? And I believe, I'm going to tell you straight up, that many of our problems today would not be problems if we realized the way we came to Jesus Christ. Then how in the world are we having this problem today? Like, like the biggest problem I sometimes find is that people can't believe that God loves them because they did this last night or they did this yesterday or whatever. Wait a minute. How in the world did God love you in the first place? If you can accept this it, as far as in the first place, that that day that you came to Jesus Christ, that he loved you freely. And you just relaxed as a result. And you accepted it. And whoo, what a, what, you, you were a mess. You, you, you were off on all sorts. And, and, and you knew it. But you came anyway because you believed in his love. And you kept trying to, and now you keep trying to prove to him how good you've been in order for him to love you. Whoa, how in the world did you get there? I mean, that's what Paul is saying. Will you go back to the beginning and look at yourself? Go back and look where you began, and that's the way we're going forward here. You, you've gone wandering off and, and into all these methods and all these regulations and in all these rules. Will you come back and realize where you began? I mean, therefore, what he's saying is know who you really are. You've been trained in all these ways as this is the way now. Well, let us tell you how to walk. That's what he's saying. And notice where he begins. He, he, he says in verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Now, the truth is, he, always, he, he didn't always address individuals in the church. He will write to the church in Corinth. He will write to the church in Rome. But when he's writing this letter, and again, one or two others, he doesn't say to the church of Colossae. He said to the saints and the faithful brethren. In other words, what he's doing here is he's zeroing down to you, 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 you. I am writing to all of you, not as a whole group of people, but as individuals. There is a time to look at the church as a whole. Yes, we are one body, but there's another time, and this is one of them, when Paul says, I'm not writing to the whole church like a body. I'm writing to each one of you so because you are responsible to God himself. 
So this letter doesn't come to the church. I mean, yeah, it does, but it comes to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ in Colossae. Each one of you, he's saying, had better hear this because I'm writing it to you as individuals. Okay, so who are these individuals? He said, you are saints. Take a look at each other. Some person, look across the pew to that other person. They look like a saint to you? We have canonized saints. You know, we pray to this saint or we do to that saint. And he said, you're saints. And that word, I'm going to tell you straight up, has become grossly misunderstood over the years. The word saint means a set-apart one. Okay, that's all. That's all it means. It means a set-apart one. Set apart to God. This, this watch, for example, that I have on, this watch is set apart to me. That is, it's my watch. Out of all the watches at Walmart, this one is set apart to me. This is my watch. Therefore, if I was speaking of this watch in relationship to me, it would be a saint watch. Does it make sense? That it's set apart to me. Now, now, when one is set apart to God, then one is set apart, you could say, to, all, all, to the all-holy one. And, and therefore, you know, there comes in the idea there that those uh, uh, who are set apart to God are in themselves. You know, this is the idea. This is where I get frustrated. Oh, they're a saint, so, so they're morally holy. Can I tell you something? You know, oh, man, if I call somebody a saint, that's because they're really spiritually holy, morally. What I'm saying is we need to get rid of that idea that a saint is a super moral, holy person. I mean, a saint in its essential meaning is one who is set apart unto God, period. That's all. Don't add any more to it. Because if you were born again this morning, you're a saint. That's what I'm trying to say. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you saint. That felt like a lie, didn't it? It just felt like a lie. But, but that's the truth. There are many areas in your life that now maybe need to be aligned to the person that you are set apart to be. Yeah. But you are still a saint. You might be a baby saint taking your first steps, but you're a saint. You are set apart to God. You are his now, and what he's going to do with you is going to radically change you. But that doesn't add to the meaning of saint. Saint simply means that you're set apart. So Paul says, you there in Colossae are saints. And to the faithful brethren. Faithful brethren? Faithful to what? Uh, to who? He's saying faithful in the face of opposition from all their opposing idolaters. That whole city in which they find themselves, they had retained faithfulness to Jesus Christ as Lord. So he's saying, I am addressing you who are set apart to God, 
who have expressed that by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord under opposition, under feeling the pressure, but still you confess that. And he says, you are in Christ. Those of you who you are in Christ in verse 2, that, that little expression you'll find is going to occur throughout the New Testament hundreds of times. It's better understood as what I've always shared with you that we talk about is, is that in vital union with Christ, in Christ, vital union, in, in, in vital union with him. See, the, the Greek word there for in has the idea that it, and it, it doesn't mean this, but it has the idea of a bird that's coming down in, into its nest and it gets into its nest and just sort of, you know, snuggles down in it. So, so it has the idea that I am in Christ. I am in vital union with him. And then he's saying Colossae. Not, not, not out there somewhere in space, but in Christ. He says, in Christ, in Colossae. In Christ, in Colossae. Right on the real streets of this real city, very much that's in this world, and yet very much in Christ, set apart to God, confessing him as Lord. He said, this is who you are. That's who you are. Now he says, look at yourself. He said, I've heard about your faith in Christ, the faith that you've expressed before this world, your, your rest in his finished work. He said, I've heard of your love that you have for all the brothers. He said, I've heard of the hope that you have for the future inheritance. Now, now just try and be a Colossae right now and and now you've been you've been told as a result you've been told that you're you're not you're not so good that's what's come into the church you've got to get under all this new teaching you have to start all this religious devotion and you've got to add to yourself all these methods and all these regulations and then one day when you've gone through all that demon powers and angel stuff You'll get to God. But right now, there's really not much hope for you, and you're not what you ought to be. You know, you, you, I know you're trying, and that's great, and we applaud you, but you're just, you're just, you're, you're not there yet. You're not who you're supposed I mean, you're wretched being, you poor thing. But if you listen to us, we'll get you there. It's, it's how you're supposed to act. It's what you're supposed to do. It's where you're not supposed to go and where you're supposed Well, Paul says, hey, guys, I don't see you like that at all. I see you already a part of God. I see you already expressing the faithful confession of Christ. I see you already in a vital union with Jesus Christ. Christ. He said, you've got faith in Christ. He said, there, there, there's a love that's coming out of you. There's a hope in, in a future. He says, don't you realize who you are? 
Who would dare? Who would dare say that you're no good? At this point, you can realize how this heresy comes into our our modern-day church. I remember, honestly, and I I even hate to admit this, but I, I remember telling people how bad they were, how they did not measure up to Christian standards. You know, I had a couple bob ass with me when I walked into the pulpit kind of thing. Uh, you know, and if they came forward and, and, and submit to the yoke of bondage of the religion that we had and that we were placing upon them, then they would make it. Hallelujah. Right? Well, <laughs> some of you are old enough in here to remember this, but we used to have them fill out a little card which stated that they would never again go to a movie house. They would never again bob their hair or paint their whatevers and wear this horrible jewelry. And, and you know, the funny thing is, and, and, and once they did that, we let them know that, of course, they would make it, right? And you know what we called those little cards? Membership cards. It was right on there. And, and I, I, I pastored such a church. All I did was tell people how bad they were. And the worse I got them to feel, the better that message was. Hallelujah. Then one day I read through the epistles without the aid of my commentary. (laughs) That could be an eye-opener. That's why I talk to you and tell you about the time that me and God was just, and and he he said, I'm going to do your teaching. And I realized that Paul, when he was speaking to the people who were, you know, very far out and away from where they ought to be. What he does is he zeroed in on, he says this, and and this is key. Before we can ever write that, we've got to get our perspective right first. Before we can ever write the stuff in light, we've got to get, do you realize who you are? That's the key. Do you realize who you are? And even though you're wrong, oh, here's an eye-opener. Even though you're wrong, do you realize who you are? You're a saint. Do you realize that? You're in Christ. You've got faith in Christ. I mean, do you realize this? Do you realize, as little as it might be, (laughs) do you realize, call it the love of the Spirit in our and what I realized that what Paul did before he ever righted a wrong was to get a right perspective. Before he ever righted a wrong. And from there on, the message changed. And honestly, for me, then I began to tell people, you know, not how bad they were, but I began to tell people who they are in Christ. I found that when they would allow themselves to realize that, instead of all the other stuff that they had learned, their problems seemed to get solved out of rest in him. Hmm. These Colossian heretics were putting people down, telling them that they were no good. Therefore, (laughs) you need us. And, And Paul said, in effect, you guys are so fantastic in Christ, that basically you don't even need me. He said, I'm just here to tell you who you are. 
Now, now go on your way and, and rejoice. He said, this is who you are. And he said, do you remember how you got to be who you are? He said, you received the truth. You received the gospel of truth, the word of truth. You received the grace of God. He said, what was it? What was it that came to you in the beginning? He said it was the gospel, which is the good news. And he said, do you know what the good news was that came to you through Epaphras? He said it was the good news that was based upon the grace of God and on the word of truth. Look, the grace of God is that he deals with us as we do not deserve. But more than that, he deals with us in the reverse of what we deserve. You, you understand what I'm talking about there? When you, huh, let's say you did something bad, you have to go to court, and you stand before the judge, what do you pray? You, you go, have mercy on me, judge, have mercy. So if the judge shows mercy, she doesn't give you, or he doesn't give you, what you deserve, correct? Now, Grace takes it enough, uh, another step further. You deserve this. I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you the reverse of that. You committed this crime. You deserve death. I'm going to give you the opposite of death. I'm going to give you life. Do you follow that? It, it, it's, it's taking it that one step further. You, you know, <laughs> That, 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 that's this, the grace of God. He said that was the good news that started. He's saying by implication. Now, do you think that that's the way it started? Do you think now it's going to get better by you coming in grace, getting the opposite of what you deserve, but it's going to be better now by you taking on all these rules and regulations? He said, it came with the grace of God, and it will continue with the grace of God. So let's go back to the beginning. It was the word of truth. That is truth the way things really are. He said, when God came to you with that grace, that's the way God really is. That was the good news that came to you. And, and he said, God, he hasn't changed he doesn't now need a whole list of, of rules and, and regulations. He said there was planted there a living seed. He said the gospel then began to grow inside of you and spread across the whole world. I think there is a reference to that. You remember the parable of the sower? The seed was sown, and as it was sown, it grew by itself. And so he said God came to you it's a it's a gospel of grace and god coming to you god made it grow now will you take your hands off of it and let it continue to grow these are the implications of this statement of paul now he's saying since i heard that he said i'm going to pray this for you you don't pray for everybody the same way and when I know that someone has received grace and truth of God, we pray for them in a certain way. 
And this is one of the prayers of Paul that he prayed for the Colossian church. He said, now because I know that you've received that gospel and because of your faith, your love, and your hope, because of the seed that's growing there, now I'm going to pray this. So I want to take a look at that. Let's take a look at this prayer. Remember that Paul, he's dictating this. And he sort of gets carried away. It's, it's, it's like things are all heaped on top of one another. So start it with, with verse 9 there where he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, this is what he's actually asking. And, 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 and uh, well, matter of fact, let's go on. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every, this is his prayer, in, in, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, really, this is his prayer right there. And then he'll just go running off so that you may have a walk worthy. In other words, if you get this, if you get this, if you are filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, this is going to be the result. And, And then in verse 12, it switches to a praise. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, giving thanks to the Father. (laughs) And when he goes on to say what he's praising God for, all of that, this is a prayer, I'm going to tell you right up front here, that we need to pray for ourselves and revolutionize our own lives. So first of all, that that petition, this, this is it, that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, notice carefully what that says, because the heretics, those who had come with their false teachings, they spoke of mystery. In other words, not everyone knows this. Only the elite have access to it. And the word mystery is used in this letter more than once. But when you read of mystery in the New Testament epistles of Paul, it doesn't mean something that you can't understand. Mystery in the epistles of Paul means something that if left to your human reason alone, you're not going to understand it. But that God has revealed it by his Holy Spirit so that anyone can now understand it. So if I'm talking of a human mind, it's a mystery. But the Holy Spirit has revealed that to us, that it is no longer, and and as a result, it's no longer a mystery, only to the human mind. So Paul speaks of this mystery, and in the end of this chapter, he's going to say, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, look, that's, the grand mystery 
the human mind would never think of that. I mean, that God would come and live inside of us, but he says that God has shown it to us by the Holy Spirit, and that's the essence of the mystery. Now he's praying then that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. They would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, of his purpose, his ongoing purpose that he has summed up in Jesus Christ. These other people were saying that if you can understand this little piece of philosophy or if you get this little piece of mystery straight and so add a rule to rule and regulation to regulation and another idea to an idea, mass doctrine here, Paul says, would you just dump that stuff? Get, force it down to you know what. Yeah. He says, if you have the full knowledge of God's will, his purposes, I should say his purpose, is summed up in Jesus Christ. Then you've got everything. All you need is insight into that. The word knowledge there in the Greek language means a clear crystal clear knowledge it means a knowledge that you have entered into by an experience i love that old saying a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion hello so paul is praying for them you to whom the gospel has come you to whom the seed of god has been planted. Now he says, I'm praying that the veil will be taken away from your eyes and that you'll have crystal clear knowledge of all God's purpose summed up in Jesus Christ. That you'll have an experience of that and you'll know that you know that you know that everything is summed up in Jesus Christ. And when you have that, he says, that's it. You don't need all these other bits and pieces. All is summed up in him, Christ. Listen. Take a look at that prayer and understand. He does not pray that things will be added to them. He doesn't pray that they'll have more love or more wisdom. He doesn't pray that they'll be more gentle or more kind. He doesn't pray that they'll have more endurance or patience or joy. It, I mean, that's what we're crying out for. I mean, isn't that what every new convert kind of wants? If only I could be more loving. If only I could be more wise. If I could be gooder. Is that the word? And then along comes the Colossian heretics in 2023, and, say, and they say, we'll teach you how to become more loving, how to become more wise. And Paul says, not me. He said, you've already got all you need already. You just need an understanding of it. You need the light to fill your mind and see it here. It's not something over there that you've got to try and get. I realize the knowledge, the full knowledge of God's will summed up in Jesus Christ 
that he's everything. What am I looking for? He said, and that will be in all spiritual wisdom. Not the wisdom of the mind, but the wisdom that comes in the spirit. The unfolding of God's purpose to my innermost being. So what does wisdom mean? It means using the very best means to obtain the highest goal. It means using the very best means to obtain the highest goal. It means to have a clear understanding of the true meaning of life. It is to realize what life is all about and move there in a straight line. So he prays that you'll have a knowledge and it will be in all spiritual wisdom. You'll have a clear understanding of what life is all about. That way, you're going to just shrug off all these other things that they're trying to lay on you. You'll see clearly. You'll right to the very true meaning of life. You'll go right to the point. And that's coupled with understanding. Understanding means insight. It means critical knowledge. Are you seeing the whole of what Paul is saying? That, that's the idea. Jesus Christ is the all, the all-sufficient. Now he says, I've got one prayer for you, and that is that you'll know it. That you'll know it with, with deep understanding, crystal clear knowledge. That you'll understand that that is the very foundation of all of life. That is what life is about. And you're going to have insight to that. If you want knowledge, if you want wisdom, you'll find it all in Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm praying for you that that's the way it will be. Then you can face this heresy or any other heresy, and it won't even have an effect on you because you know what life is all about. You know that what they're saying has absolutely no meaning at all. Now, I know everyone who comes down the turnpike usually brings something else to the party. You'll end up standing there dizzy. Ooh, wow. This is, you'll see miracles happen in, 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 in others' meetings. And, and you'll say, well, they, they must be right then. They, you know, there's miracles and healings. They must, no, no. Please remember, I don't care who they are. It's by their fruits you shall know them. Hello? What is it that they're, they're sharing? Is it Christ or is it themselves? You'll stand there dizzy. You'll hear this one. You'll read this book. You'll listen to this CD. You'll watch this show on TV and you keep asking, what's right? What works? When I hear people saying that, I think of little babies in strollers. You know what I'm talking about? They, they don't know. Little babies in strollers don't know what they want. <laughs> or even what to want in that case. They, that, was, that was the Colossians. That's the point. I hear this. I, I hear that. I, well, what do I do? And, and Paul says, I, I'm praying that you get one thing straight. Understand the place of Jesus Christ. Understand he himself is the purpose of God. And you'll have 
an insight into the meaning of God that you can turn to life with and and let let the heresies come. Let them come one after another. Let this new thing work and have authority inside to say, no, thank you. I know that's not right. You'll have an insight, a, a critical knowledge. You'll have understanding where you're at. Or, or like he says in Ephesians, for example, you'll grow up and you won't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You'll need to pray for that yourself. He said this is going to result in something, and this is huge. He said it will result in you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Wow. That almost puts fear in you. Scary. But the truth is, when you have that understanding of Jesus Christ, then the result of that will be that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. <clears throat> the knowledge of these heretics didn't do anything for you. You got a big head because you knew something that no one else knew, but it didn't do anything for you. When you have a revelation of God in Jesus Christ, it will undoubtedly affect the way you live. You can't just know something. To know a revelation of God is to be changed, period. Do you remember what it says in, in 1 John, which is probably the classic example of this? It says, we love him because he first loved. Now, notice carefully, we love. How do we love? Because we saw love in Jesus Christ. When I have seen the love, he loved us. When I have seen the love of God in Jesus Christ, I love. To have seen a revelation, to have that kind of knowledge of God is to put it into practice. I'll be honest, it concerns me that in our churches that there can be this Colossi heresy taking place. <laughs> it, it's like many have enormous ears but no feet think about that what that picture gives you huh? we are a people more than any other church in history are adding knowledge to knowledge to knowledge and believing because I know it well I got it that's the Colossian heresy you know what we tell you, you know, and, 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 and it'll be all right. Get the secret knowledge and everything will be well, right? Wave the magic wand, you know, say the magic prayer, have all the right words, say it this way, confess it that way, blah, blah. No, said Paul. If you have the knowledge that I'm talking about, it will result in you walking in a, man, uh, in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And notice it says, fully pleasing him. That word please has been, well, kind of degenerated over the years. It actually means in the original language, a preference of another's will over your own. A preference of another's will over your own. It, to please 
is preference of another's will over your own. That's what it says. Paul, in a lot of, well, in many places, really, he forbids that you should ever please man. Well, that, that, that isn't too acceptable in a lot of circles, but it's true. Paul forbid it. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and, and verse 10. He'll say in chapter 3 of Colossians, take a look at it. It says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He says, and, and again, don't be men pleasers because you have a higher one that you please. Look, I, I came to the understanding a long time ago that if I'm going to please God, it usually means that I can't please men. I've said things before that blew up everybody's, you know, what people have believed before. You just take a look at the study of Revelation. They, they, they haven't. Some people haven't liked me for that. You would not believe the books I have gotten on last day prophecy. And I get it, you know, I believe in the last days. But Revelation is just not that book. Well, suppose I had tried to please them. I would never be able then to speak the truth to them. And these Colossians were going along with these teachers I mean, you, you get a strong personality as these teachers, you know, were, and, and they're saying thus and so and well, and I don't want to rock the boat then. These, these are nice men, right? And, and I don't want to hurt them, huh? So I'll go along with what they're saying. That's what they were doing in Colossae. They were just going along with the wrong people because they didn't want to hurt them. No, says Paul. I play to the audience of one. That is God. I am responsible to him. There is one person that I give preference of his will over mine. I please him. And he's praying for them that they'll have such a knowledge of Christ that they'll begin to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that's fully pleasing him. And that will upset a lot of teachers right there. Well, Paul says, you know, don't let them get upset. You are living to a different audience. Which audience do you live to? I mean, you've got to think about that. Do you live in order to impress or to make happy those around you? Or do you live to the unseen audience, the Christ who is the purpose of God? Paul says that I'm praying for you, that you'll have the knowledge so that that is the way it would be. And then he goes on to say that the result of that knowledge is that you will bear fruit in every good work. That is, you'll have a lifestyle of good works. Now, notice this, because truth is, it is so subtle how heresy turns truth backwards every time. The heretics in Colossae said, if you will do all of these things, then you will be acceptable to God. Then you will know. Paul said, I am praying that you will know 
and then you'll have a lifestyle of good works. It's reversed the other way. Hello. You, you work to be acceptable to God so that you can know him. No. You know him, and now what results is you have a walk, a lifestyle of good works. How many of the past have been told that if you keep this day, if you, if you, <laughs> if you wear these kinds of clothes, if you don't go here and you don't go there, then you'll come to know God. The Bible says garbage. I remember growing up as a kid in Goodyear Heights and across the street from us was a Wesleyan Methodist church. Now, if you know anything about a Wesleyan Methodist church, guys are not allowed to wear short sleeves. They have to wear the long stuff, pants all the time. Don't wear shorts. Oh, don't leave me alone, please. Ladies, couldn't cut your hair. You had to let it go long and curl it up and wear the dresses and no, and they were miserable. Ain't nothing worse than a 90-degree July day having to mow the yard in long pants and long sleeves. Whew. And, and what I'm saying is, first of all, know your God. After that, after that, you'll know what to do and where to go. Hello. It's the Colossian heresy that's sneaking in. First of all, do, and then you'll have. God says, you'll have it, and then you'll know what to do. That's why Paul prayed the way that he did. You could go back to the parable of the sower or the seed and say that when the seed was planted, that was the revelation of God. Once the seed was planted, the plant grew. You don't start out with an ear of corn, right? And then you just stick it in the ground. If you do, it won't be long before it, what, falls over and reveals that it doesn't have any fruit, any root. What you do is you take a seed, which doesn't look like corn, plant it, and watch. Soon, you'll have a stalk of corn that is growing all by itself. See, legalism comes along with an ear of corn and says, this is the way that Christians act, and they stick it on top of you. You got to do this. God comes along and he pulls it out and he throws it away and he says, Get the revelation first. Know who Jesus is, know your relationship to him, know that everything else focuses in him, and you watch and you watch and see what happens. It will result in what we'll call good works. Good works, friend, understand this, good works will never lead you to God. But when God brings you to himself, good works are going to result. <laughs> Hear this. And when he says the results of that will be that you will increase in the knowledge of God. The result of that, God brings to you himself good works result, and then he says the result of that will be increase in the knowledge of God. Okay, this is how it works. First of all, there is a revelation to you of Jesus Christ, and you then will respond 
to that. Respond to light. It will be a choice, yes, but in a sense, kind of no choice, because in the light, uh, you know where to go. You might not know where to go in the dark, but when you got the light, you know where to go. And as you obey that light and work in it, you'll receive another revelation of God. So notice that he says that I'm praying for you that you'll have the knowledge of God and it will result in a walk that is worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. It will result in good works, which will result in further knowledge of him. So knowledge leads to obedience, leads to knowledge, leads to obedience. And so you grow in the grace of God and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Really, hasn't that, hasn't that been the way? And, 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 and you're, you're, just, you're just getting over this right here, and there was more, you know? You just... And, and then there's, there's more, and, and you respond to the more, and, and, and then there was more after that. Don't ever slip into the heresy that you took that backwards instead, which says, first of all, I'll do, and then hope it happens. First of all, I'll, like we're trying to manipulate God into doing something for us. No, have the revelation first. And he says, the result of that will be that you will be strengthened with all might according to his mighty power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Wow. Ephesians 1 defines the strength of his might as the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the strength of his might. So Paul said, when you see You have the knowledge of who Jesus is. One of the results of that is that you'll be strengthened with the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Whoa. You will know in your spirit the power of resurrection which has defeated all sin and all demons. You will know that power within you. Notice it says, You will know it according to, according to his glorious power. If I was a millionaire, (laughs) I think I'm a little on the roof. I'm a rich man. If if I had a million dollars and I gave you a dime, I would be giving you out of my millions. But if I give you according to my millions, I would probably have to give you a million. I hope you see this because God doesn't give to us out of his power. He gives according to his power. That's a huge difference. And what is his power? Infinite power and eternal power, which means that his power, according to us, is without limit. It is as much as you can take. Now, says Paul, what does that result in? He said, first of all, that results in long-suffering. What is steadfastness? It means the ability to bear up under pressure. 
That's what steadfastness is. Steadfastness. Being, having the ability to bear up under pressure, which is long-suffering. It is the kind of patience that is unconquerable under all circumstances, any circumstances. The long-suffering, steadfast man is one who cannot be overcome. Paul said that inside of you, who know the ultimate of God's purpose and will inside of you, joined to you, your very strength is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whatever the circumstances that hits you, you can't go down. You know what that picture is? <laughs> I love these things. You buy them for the kids. They're called punching bags or dolls or whatever. And the kid comes up and he punches it and it goes, boom, comes right back up and hits them. <laughs> that, that, that's the picture. You, you might go down, but you bounce right back up. Second of all, of all he, he, he says it results in patience. It's a people thing. Patience is that within us, you know, whereby we, what we don't do is we don't fly off into a rage when people bug us, right? Neither do we go into a corner and begin to pout and become bitter and, and, and resentful. Nor do we go into despair. Those three elements in, in the, is, are, are in the Greek word. You have patience. And then it says, all that with joy. You see, there, there was a philosophy in the days of Paul called the Stoics. Something that came through even to the days of the Quakers. Their idea was that you go through. <laughs> you, you can't, you can be, actually you can be patient, and they could, they, they were, but not with joy. A stoic can be steadfast, it can be long-suffering, and a stoic can have a, a patience of a kind, but it's the joy that gives them away. It's the resurrection of Christ inside of me that enables me to sit there in the stocks and bonds of the jail and sing praises to God at midnight. Does that make sense? That's the difference with joyfulness. Remember the parable of the seed, or the sower, I should say, and the seed that sprang up quickly? It says they received the word with what? Joy. But as soon as the sun came up, what, what this is saying is that you receive the word with joy, and when the sun comes out, you respond with joy. The sun in that case was persecution, it was temptation, it was oppression. You burn. Where this one, endurance and patience shows up, when the sun comes out, it's, it's all in the root. Now, now realize this. All those things, long-suffering, patience, joy, walking worthy of the Lord, all of that is what these heretics in Colossae said, we'll give that to you. You come our way, take our yoke, and you do all that we tell you, and all this will result. Paul said, no. <laughs> Let's begin with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's understand who he is and all this will follow. It was the total 
turnaround of all that these people were hearing and being taught. And then he joyously thanks God. He, he ends up his prayer with great joy. And again, it's, it's telling them who they are. Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Don't let anyone tell you that only after you've done this and taken care of that will you then be qualified. You are qualified right now. That's the point. God has qualified you to have an inheritance of the saints of light. Like Israel, to, to have your portion. John said in, in John 14, in my father's house are what? Many mansions. And it goes on and on. He says you have been qualified. That is, you do not have to qualify. You have been qualified. Who qualified me? Well, well God did. Well, what did I do to be qualified? Nothing except to say thank you. Then he goes on and he says, we're there. Look at verse 13. This is the one I get really excited about. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He rescued from certain death. You've been delivered. And then conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, there was a practice in ancient nations that when they captured a nation, that they would pick those people up and put them in another country and then take the people of that country and put them to where the others had come from. That's how Samaria came about, by the way. So what is Paul saying? He's saying Jesus Christ, the great conqueror, came to where you are, to where I should say you were, in the domain of darkness, and he picked you up. He transferred. He transferred you into the kingdom, and he sat you down there. Oh, get that picture. He picked you up, and he transferred you and sat you down there. He didn't just come to be your Lord. He picked you up. That's the meaning of the word here. He picked you up and he sat you down in his unshakable kingdom. Hello. I want to shout amen to that one. He said, that happened to you. Which is to say that the evil powers of the dominion of darkness have no more power over you. So forget about all those demons that you have to battle through to get to God. Because you've already been taken out of there and put down into God. You, you don't have to find God. You're in him already. That's what he's saying. Then in whom we have redemption, which means that you've been freed from slavery. You are a free child of God. Paul said, that's who you are. You won't get a word of what I've said. Please grab what I'm trying to tell you. You won't get a, a, a word of what I've said unless you start practicing that today. We need to understand that we, through nothing you or I have done, and nothing we will ever do, but we are now, we are now 
qualified to have the inheritance of the saints in light. You are now in the dwelling place God purchased for you through Jesus Christ. You. You have been transferred. You've been picked up from the domain of darkness into and put into his kingdom of light, the beloved son of God. You, you and you, all of us. You, in fact, have Christ living in you. And all you need is not something to do here or, or to do there or to add to this as if only I was a better Christian, if only I did things more often, if I could only get up earlier to pray and to read my Bible. No, no, understand, it's for you to realize that the only thing you need is for the opening of your eyes to see what you already have. As you realize that, you will go on to further knowledge, a life of good works in Christ, a steadfastness, a patience with joy. You can, you can let all the heretics go by because you know where it's really at. So I say to you tonight, don't, don't go to sleep tonight before you've known that. To realize it and to joyously thank God for who you are. Oh, but I don't feel like that. The moment you forget what God has done and rely instead on your feelings, the moment we mistake our feelings for who we really are, from that moment, we will be on our way to the colossal heresy. That's just it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't care how you feel because that isn't who you are. That's how you feel. It isn't who you are. I'm talking about what God has done, not your feelings. Know what God has done. Know what God is, is now doing. Know who you therefore are, and then you can go to sleep in peace, knowing that you are complete in Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer for yourself. I'll open up my Bible and, and just read it through as a prayer for myself. Put your name in there. Pray this for your friend. Pray it for your family, even your boss. Well, the boss is fine. But friends, there's no condemnation. Have you noticed that? There's no condemnation in this prayer. Yes, the Colossians were wrong. But he saw them for who they were. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for speaking into our hearts and lives. Now I pray, open the eyes of their understanding. Fill them with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I pray that this is a night between you and them that changes their life forever. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Uh, wake up the person beside you so they can stand too. But would you stand with me? I'll say it again. Know who you are.
know who you are. It's not what others say. It's not what you know who you are in Christ and then watch what happens. His blessing, I pray, his touch, his peace, his favor, God bless you. You are dismissed. These altars are open. If you would like to find a place of prayer, we're here to pray with you.